Hello, thank you for joining us for another episode of Gestalten. My name is Eric, and I'm here with my colleague... Martin, hello, what's up guys? And yeah, everything is doing going pretty, pretty good on this front. I've been out of the office here for a little while. Um, I was on holiday, then Martin basically just took it upon himself to go out and do a couple of special episodes, so I'm a bit rusty. Martin is like fully, fully like... Uh, um, you know, in the in the game right now, um, taking now. taking taking the podcast by storm, and uh, you had you had a couple of really cool special episodes, special guests on where you talked about a variety of things, and um, you know why don't you just kind of summarize a little bit uh, what it was? I mean, really really cool people. Uh, indeed, it, it was actually very very good, and we will continue doing that and. Uh, it's not going to be just me. We will split that up a little bit. So Eric's going to talk to some people in the future as well. But we had, in our first special episode, we had uh, Quirin Friedel there, Byton's visualization manager. And we were talking quite a bit about the, you know, like the, the, the implementation of virtual reality in the design department. And that was uh, extremely interesting because it was, you know, at, we were talking about a tool and how to make design or bring design to life. So I think it was something that a lot of people always talk about or they think about, but like, you know, really having someone to, um, to have a big discussion about this was, uh, was absolutely fantastic. And, and Karine obviously knows what he's talking about. Uh, that very, very much helps all the time as well. And uh, also, of course, you know, having the second episode with uh, Carlos Salaf. Was uh, was fantastic. I mean, you know him better than me. That was actually the funny thing. Is like you were on holiday and I spoke yeah. with him. Um, but yeah, he had a, he, you know, his kind of car, the kind of whole story, like how it all came about. That was just really, really cool. And we will continue doing that. Uh, we will come back to a little bit of a preview and uh, you know some kind of teaser and like who we're going to speak to in the future. But we will continue doing that, and we will. I would say we, we, we're going to continue having some high-profile people in there as well mm -hmm. to, you know, have have some really really interesting conversations. Yeah, no in doubt. The future. Yeah, the next one should be interesting. So uh, I'm not going to give too much away. I want people to tune in and we'll check talk it out. About it later, like, you know, towards about the end of the bit, show, right? you yeah, have to tease you, a little bit. You have to, you have to listen in and uh, and find out. But um, yeah, no, I, I I know Carlos. I mean, you know, he's not like. My yeah, I, I've known him for uh, a few years. I followed him on uh, social media, as have a lot of other people, no doubt. And um, he's living the dream. I mean, you know, he's uh, a guy that basically went out, had a dream and a vision, and really just, you know, as he says, had the balls to realize yeah. it. So I, I wish him the best of luck. He's a great guy, and um, yeah, it was really cool for you to uh, to sit down and have a chat with him. Yeah, but. Let's talk about new cars. Yeah, let's talk. Because let's talk about what's it, been going on since uh, since like, I've been know, out. The thing is, we thought actually we had like these you know massive amount of cars to talk about, but at the same time when we made you know when we when we got the list together, it wasn't that much. Like there were a few of them, and like you know some that we maybe didn't anticipate that much. But let's talk about the most obvious one, the biggest one that was discussed all over social media, all within the design. Uh, with design community and that is the McLaren Speedtail mm -hmm. which is a what they call a new interpretation of the F1 or at least what they think is the new interpretation of the F1 uh, which was designed by Gordon Murray back in the day and actually that was uh, Peter Stevens 
Oh, was that going? Yeah, back Peter Stevens' okay. design was that. Um, you know, Gordon was responsible for much of the engineering, but yeah. uh, uh, Peter was really instrumental in bringing that car to production. And um, you know, a lot of people know Peter in the uh, in the industry, but uh, yeah, his uh, that was that was his work, and um, it was you know a combination. Of course, nothing gets designed in a vacuum, yeah. so Gordon had quite a bit of involvement, of course, um, within that project. But it, it's. I mean, you know, do you want to kick off on this, or, or should I? I mean, uh, let's well, let, let's tell the people first of all. It is a, it is a kind of, a, it's not a single seater. It's actually a three seater. Yeah, well, exactly. Just like central the, position. Just like the F one, um, it's a, a modern, you know, interpretation of that car from, uh, I would say, a cabin, you know, package perspective. Because other than that, I mean, is there's so much that has evolved in terms of technology since the F1 was developed. Um, but again, you know, this is a very much an homage to that car because they're building, I think, 106 examples mm. of this, um, you know, for an obscene amount of money. They're all spoken for already. So it brings us back to something that we've spoken about in a past podcast where, you know, these things for... Um, you know, these these uh, types of one-off vehicles are really very um, lucrative for companies and very much stuff that's happening right now is, uh, you know, it's to do something from McLaren's perspective or from a supercar perspective, manufacturer's perspective like this, where you're doing very limited edition vehicles. I mean, the the tooling for, you know, creating something like that, just the sheer expense of it must be out of this world, which is kind of explains the ultimate price tag. But, you know, the the um, the cachet that that carries, um, I just really hope that, you know, uh, without getting into the design just yet, I really hope that these types of vehicles are not bought as collector's items with like, you know, to be seen in like 15 years with eight miles on the clock and, you know, just put away in a vault for safekeeping. I really do hope that the owners as, you know, the design team and the creators, the engineers, everyone that was involved in the process of creating these vehicles, um, you know, envisioned that they actually use it Mm. to, you know, go drive quickly in a straight line um, and go to the opera because, you know, that is its speed and its luxury. That's what they're selling. Um, and, and ultimately, I really do hope that these cars get used. But again, you know, it's when you have a price tag on a vehicle that is so stratospheric, um, it's it's kind of hard to justify taking it to the weekly shop. <laughs> but in the end, like, you know, this is for me always the, the the question i mean the cars are being made for driving you know they're being made to be enjoyed and of course a lot of people will see especially this mclaren as an investment because it has this very limited run also because it is you know emphasizing a lot about the f1 but uh, i mean we'll, we'll see what's going to happen and same with this it was the same with the p1 you know to be very very honest the p1 was in a very very low uh, production, um, you know, amount, and so that has kind of come to the point of you know being sold to even more ridiculous amount of numbers mm. in terms of dollars, euros, pounds, whatever you want to call, you know, whatever the currency you you look into. 
But, uh, you know, that's the kind of game they play. You know, that's what they want to do. That's how they sell these things. Because if you, and this brings us back uh, to the, the, the topic of design, from a purely design perspective, I would not spend that amount of money on that car. Um, I have to say I'm not a McLaren fan. I think what they're doing is, you know, it's just not for me. Like, I don't like the surface saying, I, you know, I see that obviously everything comes from an engineering background. But for me, it's just not good design. I just don't like it. Um, and I just, what I really don't like about this car, this has nothing to do with the design language or, you know, it's just the execution. If you put, you know, a, a, a piece of paper on, on the first half and you only see the rear, that's good. If you then do the same and you only see the front, that's okay as well. But once you put them together, it just doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah. And, and that's really the problem that I have with this thing. It's like it almost looks like you have two cars being put together and it's kind of forceful that they wanted to rebuild this kind of idea of, a, of an F1 rather than just to say we really use it as an inspiration because it does look uninspired. And um, I know they have said that this kind of front wheel cover can be removed and everything. But it just looks horrendous. <laughs> you know, the front wheel cover, like, move it. Like, you know, this is terrible. That whole thing, like, even, you know, again, pushes this idea of this is a car of two halves, pretty much, or of two sides. And um, the wheels are nice. Like, show the wheels, you know. And it doesn't matter for the, for the, uh, for the, uh, for the little bit of aerodynamics and stuff like that. I think it's, it could have been much better. Um, I think the... You know the, the long tail version um, has not really been mastered by them, and um, that's the sad thing about it. Because I think it could have been absolutely fantastic, but they just didn't deliver on on that kind of level. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously read a lot of derogatory comments about this vehicle design since it was unveiled. Um, I don't know. I think the majority of owners bought this vehicle sight unseen purely because of the fact that it is a McLaren and mainly perhaps based on figures. Um, now, you know, if you if you take away certain elements, I mean, the main reason the car looks the way it does is, let's face it, it's because of its aerodynamic attributes. Yeah. With the fact that, you know, um, they wanted to make it as slippery and as aerodynamic as possible. And they, you know, pulled out all the stops. Now, what does that mean for design? You know, um, I don't know if that hindered them. I don't know if, you know, um, the, the thing, you know, I don't really see all that much in terms of like family kind of, you know, heritage. Like uh, I think in, in if you put this car side by side with the 720, I guess it could be part of the same family. You know, this, the Senna is like, is in another category and it's, you know, this I think is far more pleasing to the eye um, than, than the Senna. But, you know, I think if you're going to design a vehicle that has to be aerodynamic, has to achieve those really impressive performance figures. It has to look a certain way. Um, I, I just don't think there's much room to kind of play on that. Now, if you if you do look at certain elements of the car, for example, the plan view of the car is a teardrop is looks absolutely amazing. I mean, you know, if you talk about the quality of materials, I think, you know, this car is pretty impressive. If you mm. talk about, you know, and again, the interior is, is a two-sided thing. You know, there are no wing mirrors, so there's two screens. You know, I've seen some comments where people are like, the interior kind of looks old and dated. Um, you know, 
I, I don't necessarily agree. I think it looks like an airplane cockpit, but you know, I think there are certain people that will expect a certain thing. And when that doesn't realize, then, you know, they're disappointed. And uh, I, to be honest, I didn't really have many expectations with this project going in. I think you're right. I would not spend that much amount of, that amount of money if I had it um, on something like that. But again, that's just, you know, a question of priorities and such. But um, it's, I think, an interesting proposal for McLaren. You know, it makes sense. I mean, this thing in terms of performance numbers alone is going to, you know, definitely get it. Um, I think it's got some really cool details, particularly in the in the, in the interior. You know, um, I think you know. Uh, the, I, I watched a couple of videos where the power operated doors are going up and making this horrible wearing noise, and that is just not in you know aligned in my view with a massively luxurious product as this is. However, those little touches, you know, again referencing airplane cockpits where all of the uh, buttons are placed into the, uh, the the roof, you know, into the headliner. You've got this little tiny window um, above that, which, you know, they didn't need to put in. It's, it's quite cool, though. Um, I love the effect of the carbon fiber where it actually looks like granite, which mm-hmm. is really, really cool. So there are some various design elements that um, stand out. Um, for the, you know, the perforations. I mean, there's like so many cool things, the seats and the way that, you know, the, uh, the, the backs and and everything is just like perfectly suited to driving and keeping you in place, allowing you to slip in. So easing ingress, um, into the car and, and keeping you in place when you're driving around high speed. I mean, the thing is, this is not an easy car to get into. I mean, I, I really don't think anyone is going to be getting into mm. <laughs> the driver's seat of this car gracefully. But at the same time, it's, you know, the, the performance numbers and again, the cachet of saying, you know, I own one of these, you know, massively, um, you know, ultra performing GTs, you know, uh, hyper GT. Um, and, you know, there aren't many of those in the world. Yeah. But, like, you know, in the end, the, the, one has to say they're already sold. And as you mentioned, obviously, they have been sold. All 106 have been actually sold without anybody seeing the car. So um, I think, you know, they, they send us these little sculptures in the beginning and stuff like that to kind of, you know, please the buyers and stuff. But um, it, it would be quite interesting to talk to a buyer and like, you know, is this what you expected from it? <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Uh, that would be actually really, really interesting. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, let's let's move on uh, from this and let's move on to something a little bit more conventional. Uh, yes. <laughs> let's go from a supercar manufacturer that only fa- manufactures a few cars a year uh, to one of the biggest in the world. Let's go to Volkswagen and let's talk about the new T-Roc that has been presented. Mm. Yeah, no, or not to not to uh, you know mistake it with the T cross uh, as well. These kind of T family nowadays has been yeah. There's a lot of them. <laughs> has, has, has it been has it been tricky uh, for that? But we're talking about a small SUV here. Yeah, the really tiny SUV in the Volkswagen lineup, and you know. Uh, <laughs> I think it's cool that they're doing something like that. You know, Volkswagen, as you know, we're in Germany right now. The, the people's car should be doing products like this. You know, should be getting into different categories. People are wanting SUVs. People are, um, you know, see themselves driving around. They're more comfortable in them, etc. Um, now, you know, from a design perspective, I don't think it's too much to write home about. But again, I'm not mad at it. You know, looking at it, you know, it's 
it's uh, quite acceptable. <laughs> um, it's a small SUV, which is basically just, just over four meters long, built on the MQB platform. Um, it's, it's an interesting little, uh, little runabout. You know, there are other small SUVs out there that, um, you know, it will compete directly uh, with. And, you know, people want these cars. So it's like it took Volkswagen and Harmonist a bit of time. It took a lot of manufacturers quite a bit of time to get on the, um, the C segment, now the B segment, um, you know, uh, SUV um, market. And, um, you know, these things are going to sell like hotcakes regardless. What, what's, interesting about, what's interesting about this car is, um, you know, when you look at it, you know, perhaps, you know, inside profile, the, the proportions aren't quite right. It's a tiny car. I mean, it's you know, tiny. It's not that small, but it's still small by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there are some interesting bits going on with the surfacing. And I mean, it's uh, it, it's not my bag, you know, um, ultimately, let's face it, I'm much more of a wagon kind of guy. Um, I think the proportions in that respect might work out much better. We're seeing a lot of things that are on trend in terms of the, um, you know, the the front face and indeed the the the, the rear tail lamp treatment where it's uh, you know uh, shore to shore as Byton would call it. You know, um, from one end to the other, the full length uh, tail lamp treatment. Um, but what's interesting to me, I think is the interior. Um, You know, Volkswagen is really making a big push into um, doing things that are way more digital. So the entire um, cabin, even in something so small, has all of this tech. Um, You know, forget the screen. Obviously, that's um, that's just in there for every type of vehicle that we're buying these days is the center screen is is uh is default um but then you know it's it's got an interesting little island which is you know all digital and everything so you've got the buttons it's not just uh, a purely touch screen interface and then you've got this um virtual gate cluster which again is skeuomorphic as they like to create nowadays um people yet haven't really moved into uh, a medium where um, well, I think that there's a lot of tests going on in terms of UI UX, in terms of what is ideal for, um, you know, driving. Uh, ultimately, that's the task at hand. So it needs to be legible. It needs to have the correct fonts. It needs to be very fairly intuitive. And also, I mean, in particular with Volkswagen, is that you, we see that because of the platform sharing they have with, you know, uh, a Skoda, a Seat, an Audi, a Bentley and stuff like that. Of course, they're trying to um, to use as many parts as possible on all these different kind of brands. Mm. And that's, I think, a big advantage also for Volkswagen is because they can use higher quality, um, yes. you know, just kind of components for that as well. And I, I think you can see that with the T-Rock, you can see that with the T-Cross, we saw that with the Tarock uh, concept as well. Um, you know, Volkswagen has this this kind of attitude of saying like when we do a concept – the concept has to be pretty much feasible uh, for whatever we do. And and you can see that, especially in the interior, they're all very much the same. You can see that they are pretty much ready to bring into the market as well. And and I think that helps them. Are they the most, you know, the most innovating company in the world? Probably not. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of others that, that are willing to push a little bit further. Um, but they understand nowadays, and it's getting better and better with them, that the simplicity is becoming you know, the most important thing for them. And I think you can see that with, um, you know, with them moving forward mm. uh, quite a bit. But 
Um, let's let's move all forward to a couple of special editions. And because we were talking a lot about Volkswagen and interiors, <laughs> we're not going to talk about interiors with, with Aston Martin, are we? <laughs> no. Um, I mean, you know, this this uh, there have been some special editions unveiled recently, and um, you know, the Aston Martin DB S fifty nine is probably what you're referring to right yes. now, and. Um, you know, there's, I, I don't, I don't really know what to say about that car. You know, it's, um, it's a special edition, you know, again, more, more special editions. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm more frankly, money. frankly, I'm at a loss. I don't, I don't really know. I don't have anything, um, anything to contribute to that. Well, the, the, <laughs> look, it's a DBS and we talked about the DBS before. Well, like the way I like to call it, it's the whale shark mm. because it has this absolutely massive mouth. That is just absolutely horrendous uh, for the whole thing. Uh, I don't know why they do those kind of special editions because there's technically maybe I'm just like you know a noob on this one and I have no idea. But <laughs> when I look at it, it has you know maybe some special rims. Those rims are not great. Um, the color is pretty cool. It goes back to almost like a racing green mm. you know, from the from the old DB4 GT days and stuff like that. But the rest is just like a normal Aston Martin DBS. Mm -hmm. And they will probably, you know, make more money of that oh, yeah, than with, sure. the, with, the, uh, with the normal DBS. But is it really necessary? I have no idea. Yeah, it's, it's a cash cow, of course. Let's be very, very honest. Yeah, yeah. That's what Lamborghini has been doing lately. Mm -hmm. A lot doing, you know, uh, especially Huracan special editions for whatever reason. And those things are selling and you know, those special edition Aston Martins will sell no matter what. Uh, but for, for us, from an actual design perspective, obviously they're a huge disappointment because there's nothing new to develop that further. And well, yeah. to kind of show where they could have gone or where they, you know, maybe see, you know, the, the actual vintage kind of idea of Aston Martin, like the, the super sports cars and stuff like that to, to develop into. So, uh, yes, looks nice, but in terms of design, bit of a disappointment because a little bit of color and trim no disrespect to our color and trim listeners but um you know that doesn't make the car well that's exactly what it is it's uh you know a, a tailored approach to a uh you know a, a dbs and um you know putting new colors certain finishes it's definitely a color and trim job you know the the wheels for example that you mentioned they're bespoke and there's there's a few things that will you know command a higher um, price uh, over the DBS and you know the person that wants exclusivity and let's face it that's what where these high-end supercar manufacturers are going as you mentioned um, you know Lamborghini Ferrari Aston Martin of course so you know they've got the Q treatment now they're coming out with this um, again it's you know it's something that allows the potential customer um, to really personalize um, their their uh, purchase, and you know if they if somebody wants something that is um, different than uh, and and more limited edition than their uh, typical DBS, then they will go for it. Now, yeah. it's a very much a a color and trim job, and uh, you know that's why there's more color and trim designers needed in the industry, <laughs> especially for bespoke. <laughs> and speaking of bespoke, I mean the same what we just uh, what we just talked about with the Aston Martin applies for the Ford GT, yeah, with what they call the carbon series. But right, right. It's pretty much the same, same old, same old. Um, yeah. You know, another cash cow, another special edition. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the Ford GT is an extremely popular car for Ford. 
um, yes. and you know relatively and cheap compared so. to other yeah. to other competitors in the market. But mm -hmm. yeah, uh, again, another special edition. So not really much to say about that one. No, uh, to be honest. But, but you know, it's uh, it, 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 when was this car revealed? I think it was um, about three, four years ago, maybe. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe even longer. Was it like Detroit I, in 2015 yeah, or Detroit something? Detroit like that? 2015. 16? That's yeah. right. Yes, Detroit 2015. So it's been three years now. Um, you know, in order to generate interest, you know, from a marketing perspective, a product, and it's not like they're going to do a new GT every. Uh, they've only done three. So you know, in the entire life of the GT, which spans um, several decades, decades, I think yeah. it's like 40 years. Yeah. So um, they haven't even done one every 10 years. So it's it's quite interesting. Um, you know, th certain, certain things need to be done in order to remain, you know, relevant and to generate interest from the buying public. So, um, you know, it's not, it's a marketing exercise and it's, it's, I'm not sure what the performance gains are on this carbon, uh, addition. Um, but you know, it, it definitely serves to generate, um, renewed interest in what, as you mentioned, is uh, is indeed a very good product product to begin with. So, um, right. So that's the special editions. Exactly. Now, let's let's move on into like a bit more interesting. I I, I, I would dare say um, <laughs> concepts. Um, now, there's the Brazilian Motor Show recently took place. Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo, and there was a lot of concepts. Um, a few from from Nissan. One of the things that you know. That was appealing to me, I think, is um, is the little Volkswagen um, Tarok pickup. And, and the T um, car? Tarok, exactly. It's getting a bit confusing with the T cars over in Volkswagen. But um, Volkswagen, again, is, you know, the people's car. So they're doing things that people want in certain markets. And, you know, the the little T SUVs in, in Europe is definitely going to sell well. As I mentioned, I don't doubt that. Um, you know, especially because of the fact that, as you mentioned, with, you know, so much stuff going on to a shared platform where costs are shared amongst mm -hmm. a number of brands really allows them to invest and to boost up um, from a material quality, um, not just a perceived quality, but an actual quality. And because the higher the numbers, the cheaper the cost. Um, but the Tarok, so um, this little concept pickup truck, which is a smaller pickup than um than than the one that is currently on sale and uh, available and, and much smaller indeed than the one that was shown um in uh where was it in new york or pebble beach yes yeah. I, I saw one running around in pebble beach um this i think it was unveiled in new york anyway that's more of a uh, mid-size by u.s terms uh pickup truck whereas this tarok is a very compact pickup and i think you know we may have mentioned this in the past but Automakers are really missing out on the compact truck segment. Um, in Brazil, places like South America, um, these are huge money makers. And I think that there is much more demand for a compact pickup truck than there ever has been. Um, people like these, you know, truck adventure style vehicles that are rugged, can go anywhere can carry anything and can um, really just speak to them, to uh, their adventurous lifestyle or, you know, as they might imagine. Now, I think the compact truck segment 
needs to get re. I mean, for a while there was talk of Hyundai coming up with a with. A, I think I think it's still very much in the cards. Um, you know, I remember when I was growing up in the states, there was little. Toyota pickup trucks, little Nissan pickup mm-hmm. trucks running around and they were super cool. You know, they were affordable. They were compact. Um, you know, you could throw your surfboard in the back or whatever and, and just go out. And so it was really a, a youth oriented style car. And that's, that's just need. There needs to be more of that going on. Now, if you go and you try to buy an F-150 or whatever, I mean, you're looking at trucks that are, you know, hovering around 80K, like when they're fully decked out, that's a hell of a lot of money for what was, you know, once a uh, a farmer's utilitarian vehicle. Now, if we talk specifically about this car, again, the interior, very, very digital. Um, But, you know, they've done a few things, you know, in that it's a a quad cab, so it's got four doors, um, and then it has a shorter bed. But what they've done, therefore, to compensate for that is to make the rear of the cab um, fold down, uh, opening it up to, you know, potentially haul uh, longer items, you know, especially if you keep the tailgate down. Um, In a market like South America, hopefully, you know, it's not going to rain too much (laughs) because you're kind of limited in in what it is that you can store in the back there. You know, you're not going to put a a four-wheeler in the back of that bed and drive for five hours down a stretch of road with the back completely open. (laughs) It's just, I just don't really. So in terms of like limited use, you know, I don't see, I don't see it being, you know, utilized extensively for an an extended period of time. But, um, you know, it's a cool idea and it kind of serves up this modular aspect of a vehicle where you can have a closed cabin, you can have Mm. a bed and it just makes it, you know, as a as a pickup truck should be, which Mm. is a really useful and utilitarian vehicle. Um, If you look in the interior, it's not really that because it's 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 way more luxurious than anything. Yeah, of course. But it's cool. So anyway, yeah, that's my take on it. it makes sense for the market that it's aimed for. I mean, you know, yes. this is always the thing. I mean, you know, this is what Volkswagen, I think, do very, very well is aiming their products for a specific market. Uh, we have it here in Germany where we have the Mercedes X-Class, mm. which is a pickup. And nobody in Germany drives a pickup, <laughs> you know, like literally. And if you go to the UK, they drive a Land Rover or something like that. So absolutely no idea why Mercedes released the, the X-Class in Germany, but not in the US because... You know, I think they said once the X-Class is too small for a U.S. pickup. Mm. Well, then do a bigger one, <laughs> you know, because it, it just doesn't make sense. I've, I haven't seen one X-Class so far on the street. I know they're out for sale because we have a Mercedes dealership just down the road from mm. our office down here. Um, and this is much, much more this kind of, let's say, a European or what you mentioned also, a younger audience uh, pickup. Uh, and I'm going to be actually, you know, we could talk about this a little bit later, but I'm going to be very interested to see what's going to happen in L.A. Mm. when Rivian is supposed to reveal the first electric pickup. You know, we saw some pictures today online that uh, that Tesla had some more ideas about the pickup and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So um, it's going to be very, very interesting yeah. with the pickups. But let's well, talk pick about... Up, pickups are, are, are a huge, huge market, yeah. um, you know, and, and, you know, there is just so much... Um, profit in especially a conventional pickup truck 
um, that automakers that don't create these things. But at the same time, you know, when you look at Honda with the Ridgeline, when you look at, you know, certain vehicles that try to kind of blur the boundary, um, they haven't been all that successful. So it's very market specific. Yeah. But in terms of that Mercedes pickup, I have seen one in London. I did see one in London, surprised the hell out of me. But, um, you know, but... Which is a Toyota, by the way. It's, 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 it's a it's Nissan a Navara. Oh, it's a Nissan. It's yeah, a yeah, Nissan yeah. Navara. So, you know, you can't really justify paying more just because it has that three-pointed star. Yeah. You know, I just, I, honestly, if I'm in the pickup truck market, I'm, you, I'm probably not, you know, but maybe, maybe that's just me because I'm not, a ba- I'm not a brand snob. I'm not a badge. You know, maybe if they, you know, maybe if we took a trip to Dubai or something, you know, some, uh, some of those markets, we might see, uh, you know, some, some Mercedes badge pickup trucks running around. Anyway, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about LA in the future. Now there's, there's, and then later on in this, in this episode, but I, I want to talk a little bit about um, SEMA. So SEMA being the Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association, the show that goes on every year in um, in uh, Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. It's, uh, you know, a massive event. Um, it's know. pretty much, a, the, the Germans call it, like, they, 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 they say it's a Tunis exhibition. Yeah, pretty very much. So. That's what it is. Very much so. Yeah, so uh, third party, you know, everything that you can find for your car will be uh, will be shown at this mm-hmm. um, uh, at this show, but what it has also become is a some kind of absolutely freakish, crazy cars, mm. either you know tuned up cars, either completely weird kind of concepts that we have seen over the years from that show. And that might also have to do with the location. I mean, Vegas is you know <laughs> the uh, location of no, weird absolutely. stuff as well. Absolutely. But, if we if we really look into it, and you know, there's, there there wasn't really that much that really came up, but we always like us a little bit of a Dodge Supercharger, don't we? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the thing. Playing on this retro spirit, you know, cars and what they used to be and what people remember them as, um, you know, and so, you know, this thing, obviously, 1968, the heyday of the muscle car. You know, why not? You know, it's a uh, if you didn't create something like that at uh, at SEMA, you know, then people would probably be asking you themselves, why not? Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's because of the location, you know, it's 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 uh, very much an aftermarket show. It's very much a, uh, you know, customization um, event. But because of that, it's also drawn for a number of years now, a number of manufacturers that go out there and create special vehicles specifically for that show. I think the numbers have actually gone down. There's less manufacturers showing cars that have been specifically um, created for SEMA. But nonetheless, it's, um, you know, uh, as one as one uh, of my colleagues, it's part, um, you know, car show, part strip club. You know, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that's just But, you know, if you get those people all in one location and you're a manufacturer trying to sell cars, then why not just have a booth over there so they can come out there and look at the pristine, you know, chip foose um, latest, uh, you know, vehicle one-off that he's created alongside your, you know, concept, which will ultimately, again, generate interest in the brand and hopefully drive somebody that's out there walking around into your dealership to purchase one of your new products. So it's very much a marketing exercise. That's totally what this has become. Um, you know, and, and, you know, 
they they want to get people talking. So, you know, besides this Dobbs Dodge Supercharger concept, there's also um, the uh, the Honda rugged open air concept, which um, I, personally I think is quite cool. I mean, it, it speaks to what Honda does, which is um, kind of. Uh, not only do they build cars and motorcycles and boats and they, but they do a lot of recreational vehicles. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, why not? You know, it's, it's, I think aligned with the brand's activities. And if you can get something out there that gets people talking and again, generates interest in your brand, it's uh it's a good opportunity to do so. Um, and that's, that's about it for me from the SEMA bit. I mean, I don't really, um, I'd love to go out there one year. I haven't been. I've never actually been there. Um, and I certainly wouldn't want to go for the, the, the reason that my friend just mentioned because I, I don't care much for that. You mean no gambling? But, what the hell? Uh, no, yeah, the gambling is fine. You know, it's just, uh, I don't like getting teased and things. That's just not my bag. But at the same time, you know, it's cool to go out there and to see you know because these these custom fabricators especially they're creating rolling works of art that's what these things are when you go out there and you see things um that have been you know commissioned there's no expense spared and people really like you know they come out with some real creative solutions sometimes or you know indeed sometimes it's just eye candy yeah. uh, but i would like to go out there and check it out Would you also go out to the? Now I have to look and actually what it's called because I uh, this see, is this. you so, won't be able to say it because it's it's it, I can't even say it. it's 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 Italian basically it's an acronym okay. for Esposizione Internazionale Ciclo Motociclo e Accessori. And that pretty so, much means it's basically the, the international show for motorcycles. Exactly the international exhibition of motorcycles and accessories. Um, and scooters, I guess. Um, okay. Now we don't really talk about motors, motorbikes. We don't talk that about often. motorbikes too much, but I think it's um, it's a it's a shame because there is a lot going on in the motorbike scene, and it's uh, actually much harder to work with um, a motorcycle than it is a car. I think from a design perspective, but it's an all-encompassing industrial design product um, because every single element of a motorbike is on show yeah. and every single piece, um, and components, be it in the engine, be it in the tail lamps or in the headlamps or in the seats or in the color and trim or in anything is its own little piece of product design. And of course there's so much that can be, there's only so much that can be done if you're working on a constraint on a budget, for example, But if you take that, it's like, you know, I think motorcycles are very much like high-end watches. You know, it's like you look at those, if you take the time and you discover little bits and pieces of motorcycles, they can be extremely interesting. Um, and, you know, so the, yeah, the um, the exposition of motorcycles, so Eichler I, 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 <laughs> or in whatever. Milano. In Milan, we have to, exactly. we have to add, yeah. yeah it, we have to add because it is, it is definitely surpassed any show that is going on in France, even in Germany. Um, you know, that is a massive show and it's drawing a lot of people and a lot of manufacturers. Yeah, Yamaha is out there show, every year. They're out there showing yard builds and things. Yamaha is quite vested as well in like personalized bikes. Mm. So that's really appealing. I mean, there's one thing, the, the Arc Vector, which actually has some Jaguar investment behind it, um, is an electric bike. 
um, that looks like something out of Tron, yeah. which is really, really, really appealing, very impressive um, piece of design. And, you know, I, I, I do wish them all. I think, you know, I know one of the designers that worked on that bike, uh, you know, he's a designer out of Jaguar as well, um, diehard motorcycle fan and um, uh, rider himself. He races, he hurts himself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it's a great, great piece of work. And, um, you know, also, you know, companies like, you know, Royal Enfield, who um, have a new studio, which is not not that new. It's a couple of years old in the UK. Um, they have a design studio in Chennai in India. And they have uh, this new studio up in, uh, in Leicestershire, which is, you know, just these, these studios are becoming state-of-the-art um, manufacturing and design facilities. I mean, um, you know... I, I was recently speaking with uh, with Filippo. I, I you know I, I wrote a design story on um, on the Royal Enfield Concept KX on uh, on Form Trends, which um, you know it's 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 an amazing kind of feat what it is that they that they created with that bike, mainly because they're referencing its its history, the company's mm-hmm. history, you know, as a luxury bike builder. But then it's also um, you know, something that's looking forward into the future, something that's very much being um, looking into a new kind of direction for, again, what was what is the oldest kind of continuous production um, motorcycle manufacturer around in the mm-hmm. world. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of history to play with there. And, and, you know, the design team in India is really, really good and strong and well um, versed to executing some really top notch um, product. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really a, a, a pivotal point within that company now where they're starting to invest in bigger cylinder bikes. You know, I mean, in India, it's, you know, you can taught around on a, on a 550cc or up to 500cc motorbike and um, you know and that's no problem but in Europe or in the States or you know if you start to want to expand globally you know you need something with a bit more power than that so a 650cc um, motorcycle which you know they've um, again, Filippo uh, uh, Corticelli has, has worked on this new engine, which is kind of being previewed in this concept bike that was mainly built because, you know, last year they launched the Himalayan. They didn't want to do something boring and just announce pricing for that bike. So they, they, want, they wanted to make a splash. And so this kind of neoclassical blended with futuristic concept is quite appealing um, and indeed, from a design perspective as well. So um, yeah, no, like just just in case people are wondering why I'm not saying anything, um, I'm not very interested in motorbikes. I have to say, <laughs> yeah. um, I you know, I, I, to, to put it out there, I just don't have the balls to drive them. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't really say much about it. Uh, to be very very honest, I had a nice little look at the Arc Vector. Uh, which from the side use really really nice. I don't like the the lights. That's just you know my my cup of tea, or not my cup of tea in that regard. But mm. um, anyways, I mean you know we, we we see all these kind of new shows or like you know not new shows, but we're, we're talking about SEMA. We're talking about the EICMA. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to use that kind of acronym, <laughs> um, and we will try to kind of bring you know those smaller shows or like other shows a little bit more into the light as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we also want to bring to the light is one of our favorite sections, and we always say this because it actually is one of our favorite sections. It's where the people have moved to or moves that have happened internally. 
Yeah. yeah. And we're just going to sum this up quickly uh, because it's actually not that much. It's more about uh, more about lateral moves rather than horizontal moves. Mm. We had, uh, you know, I think the biggest one was Luke Donkoverke. Yes. Being appointed as the uh, head of Hyundai Group Design yeah. and officially succeeding now uh, Peter Schreier, mm -hmm. who is still a consultant to the board um, mm. or like, you know, to the board of management and is, I think, head of design management or, yeah. know, like, but pretty much, like, you know, we, we've seen that for about a year now. Uh, Luke is pretty much, you know, he was groomed to be in that kind of position now mm -hmm. and uh, it's, you know, well done to him. I mean, you know, very, very well deserved, done a good job uh, over the past few years with, uh, with Hyundai and everybody knew that when he took that job, that was where he's supposed to go. Um, yeah. I think, a little bit in the industry but also at the same time uh, somebody had to take over his position his official position at Hyundai uh, and of course the Genesis which is now going to be Sanyo Bli yes who will globally lead the Hyundai and the um, uh, and Genesis brand mm -hmm. yeah and uh, yeah well they you know those are lateral moves uh, pretty much expected it was just a matter of time but uh, no matter what of course uh, very very well done to them And uh, we've talked about this before, uh, was obviously Kevin Rice left Mazda Design to join Cherry. Mm -hmm. And we now know who's taking over for him. Um, yep. We were internally talking, is it going to be someone internally or is it going to be someone externally? And they've chosen someone internally, which is a lovely little chap that, yeah. uh, that we know, uh, who's called uh, Joe Stenoit, mm -hmm. uh, who's been the head of, you know, director of interior and branding. Mm -hmm for Mazda Europe and he is now officially also the Mazda European Design Director. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. Well deserved and congratulations to Joe, obviously congratulations to Luke, but as you mentioned there was a lot of talk um, that he was going to be um, taking over that role since he started. Now a lot of people jumped the gun and thought he was going to replace Peter Schreier um, you know, immediately and that was several years ago, which wasn't the case. But, um, you know, it, it was ultimately always going to be that he would secede um, Schreyer in his position. Um, and, you know, let's not, let's not discount what Schreyer's done. He's built an incredible organization. He managed to be promoted to have a seat on the board. Yeah. He's, you know, from a design perspective, there's not many people that have achieved what he has achieved over the course of his career. So, yes, now he's moving over into, um, you know, as a consultant, um, which basically allowed um, Luke to uh, to take over the reins, and therefore, you know, Sangyup was also elevated. Also, you know, all of these guys are super nice. You know, Sangyup is one of the nicest guys in the industry that I know. Um, I've known him for a very long time, and he's um, he's he's going to be perfect in that role. And um, you know, so I want to congratulate everybody, of course. Yeah. Um, and you know, Joe. Yeah, again, you know, it couldn't have been, you know, it's a very, very well-deserved promotion um, for someone that's put in a lot of work and a lot of hours and years um, in, uh, in that organization. And he's done some very good things. And so I, I'm really very pleased when I see um, that people in those types of um, positions are uh, working within those companies and with that dedication and loyalty yeah. are really, um, you know, seen and valued and promoted, um, you know, and uh, so that makes me very, very happy. And uh, also, it was, uh, it was hilarious because it was, it, well, it was funny to me anyway, it coincided with his birthday uh, that he got that, that yeah. role as, uh, 
as as design director. So congratulations good, to him. Nice little present. And, yeah, uh, most definitely. Yeah. So in case you're all wondering why we why we've been talking about the cars, production cars, concept cars for such a long time, <laughs> uh, there's actually a reason for that because we had a topic planned. And uh, we, we we always had in the back of our minds that this topic that we wanted to talk about uh, could also turn into a special episode, mm. um, which happened to be the idea of we talk, let's talk about future mobility, let's talk about new things, and let's talk about the idea of you know w why is an Uber now so successful? What is the direction of what they're doing? But uh, as a little bit of a teaser, and uh, you know, touch wood that this is hopefully uh, all still you know standing <laughs> in terms of in terms of how we planned it. The reason why we scrapped it for that episode is we will. Um, Next week, uh, we will be speaking to Frank Stevenson, mm -hmm. who is currently head of Lilium, yes, uh, head of product design at Lilium. And so we said, well, why why should we talk about this now if we have someone, <laughs> you know, Quite. who's running running a design department for one of these very very future mobility oriented companies? So um, that's why we took a little bit more time with the cars and really really enjoyed you know like talking about them in a bit more detail. And uh, the teaser uh, that we started off in the beginning will be that uh, hopefully um, by you know next Friday, so Friday you know from the, from from when we release this episode a week onwards, there will be another special episode in this time with Frank Stevenson yes. um, from uh, from Lilium. So um, you know that's that's the one thing. Yeah. But also, I'll be very interested to hear what Mr. Stephenson has to say about the future of mobility. He's had quite a varied career. Um, uh, which, you know, is probably familiar to many of our listeners, um, uh, you know, and moving over from <laughs> McLaren to, uh, to a company like Lilium. I'm really, really, really interested in, in, in hearing his perspective on the future of mobility. Yeah, uh, that's why we had to kind of cut what we wanted to talk today, mm -hmm. because we said, well, let's Quite. move this on. Yes. Um, but also... Um, we're not quite sure yet in terms of our recording schedule because obviously we have the LA Motor Show coming up, so we have a lot of preparation to do for that. Um, but we will also have a very, very special episode of the Gestalten podcast coming straight from the LA Motor Show. Yes. We will be doing that. This will be recorded live mm -hmm. at, uh, at the show. We don't know exactly where yet. Uh, this will also be streamed live uh, on very likely Instagram. So do follow us at uh, Concept House on that channel. Yeah, we've uh, got to check like time zones and things. But. <laughs> exactly. We will announce all of that, but it is in the plans that we will do a live podcast there. Uh, but we will also, let's say you can ask us some questions and stuff like that. So we mm. will try to do this a little bit as a Q&A. And yeah, so we're quite excited about that. So that's why we don't know exactly if we can do a preview uh, episode of the of the podcast or if we will do that at the show. So uh, you know, stay tuned for that one. Check the social media feeds. What the the planning for that will be. And last but not least, before we finish this off, we have one announcement to make. Uh, this has been on social media a little bit already. This has been on. Uh, you know, uh, magazine or in magazines has been publicized a tiny little bit already, but we want to make this now very official. We will be starting a challenge, a design challenge, and this has actually started from my holiday when I was in uh, when I was in Japan. And I, uh, as people might know, I do absolutely love K cars, but uh, we have the K car challenge, which is now live, which will be running. Uh, I think officially until the 2nd of December. Um, so it's about, you know, almost four weeks from now onwards. Please do check out our social media feeds. Please do check out our LinkedIn and stuff like that. We will be featuring 
this challenge quite heavily on there. And what we will also do, and we can announce this already, we will have prices for that. So um, we will have a little bit of a, of a jury. So we will we will announce those very, very soon, who's going to be part of that. And we will have some prizes for the people to, um, you know, to win in that regard. So like three, you know, first prize, second prize, third prize. And uh, yeah, so we're hoping for some really, really cool, um, yeah, you know, just like ideas, what can be done. Um, just a little bit explaining or just a very, very short explanation. You know, do either an exterior, do an interior. Um, the challenge is actually very, very easy. You take you know, the um, the numbers of pretty much a K car that's you know that you can find everywhere online on 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 Wikipedia. You can find it on our challenge board that we have on our website, and this is pretty much the only restriction you have. Apart from, you have to use a brand that doesn't have a K car. That's the mm. only, you know, kind of no go that we've put in there. Um, with one little exception, you're not, you're, you are allowed to use a Mercedes uh, because obviously Smart is officially part of Mercedes. So we said, yes, mm. you can use a Mercedes, but you know, you're not allowed to use a Daihatsu. You're not allowed to use a, um, uh, a Nissan or a Toyota and something like that because they all have K-Cars. So use car companies that don't have K-Cars. So basically non-Japanese non companies. And I think, um, you know, offhand, it's like a car that is definitely less than three meters long, but I can't remember exactly. It's a, a very, very small vehicle. It is um, supposed to be a challenge, and it's supposed to be something where, you know, we're always talking about autonomous vehicles. We're talking about the idea of what happens in 2040, 50, 60 now. But what we want to do is we want to really push it and say just like, look, the, the cities are growing. And with the growing cities, there's less and less space. And if you've ever been to Tokyo, you see how useful those kind of K cars can be. So, cool. you know, we, we are very, very much looking forward to get some really, really cool ideas uh, from this K car challenge. And of course, so check it out on our website, check it out on all of our social media. Mm -hmm. We'll be all over the place. And um, yeah, apart from that, to be very, very honest, I think we're pretty much done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and from that kind of perspective, I would say you will very, very likely hear me again next week with the lovely Frank Stevenson. And, you know, apart from that, Eric, any last words before we're, before we're heading off? No, I think you covered it. I'm, I'm good. Um, you know, uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with us, you know, in terms of looking for the next stage in your career, looking for, um, you know, uh, jobs that we've got going, you can follow us on uh social or you know just get in touch with us on various uh social channels whatever it is that you use um because we're there likely and um yeah just i'm looking forward to this frank stephenson thing for sure <laughs> um, i'm really looking forward to it. i really you know fingers crossed i really hope that this uh pans out now um yeah we're going to be on a plane before the end of the month and uh we're going to be bringing you some cool stuff from la Hopefully, <laughs> if you want to meet with us at uh, at the LA show or you know any kind of surroundings at the design forum or whenever, 
do send us a message. Yeah, we're always happy to meet. Uh, Eric will be here. You know, myself will be here. Our producer Eddie will be here as well. Will be there as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will be bringing our colleague Daniel, that some of you have uh, heard of before in the podcast. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a full-on <laughs> concept house Gestalten team mm-hmm. uh, at the show. So yeah, do let us know uh, if you if you want to catch up and if you want to want to have a drink or something like that. But uh, in that sense, we wish you a very very good day in that sense depending on when you hear this hopefully good yeah. commute if you hear this on your commute and um <laughs> good morning good afternoon good morning good afternoon whatever whatever you want <laughs> and you will hear back from us soon and hopefully the next week um with the lovely frank stevenson thanks for joining us guys thank you guys take care take care